You're listening to Meanwhile, episode 22. Today, we dive into the topic of stress. What is it? What contributes to it? What are some effective ways to deal with it? Along the way, Michael M. shares a recent stressful story about being up at all hours of the night with sick kids. It's one you won't want to miss. So let's get started. Hey world, it's Michael Melcher here on the East Coast of the U.S. And Michael Terrell out West. Good to be with you, my friend. What are we talking about today? We're going to talk about stress and we're going to get right into it with a stressful experience that I have gone through and I'm continuing to go through. So last week, my son Nico got the flu. Despite um, the fact that our entire household had gotten the flu vaccine as recommended. So he had a little fever and the next day it really spiked. And when I took him in to urgent care, his head was like lolling on the side and they pressed some button. And instead of waiting two hours, we were seen almost immediately. And he had a 104.7 temperature, which um, scared the shit out of me. And uh, so they saw him and other various diagnoses. The doctor thought he probably had the flu, which is rampant now in New York and Massachusetts, um, and apparently more serious than before. We got prescribed Tamiflu, which is this incredibly expensive medicine that may or may not work, um, and only if you get it in the first two days, and it just makes the flu less severe, and then went home. And so for the next three days and nights, uh, I was tending to my suffering son, including a couple of nights waking up about every half hour when he would wake up wailing and say, boo-boo, and I'd pick him up and kind oh. of rock him and then put him back, and then another half hour later it would happen. Uh, Mateo was fine, although he did resent not having a lot of attention. And during this dark night, it was very much the dark night of my soul. Uh, and I was scared and had many dark thoughts and didn't like actually how I was coping with this and was kind of wondering, is there a better way to deal with this? Long story short, he then recovered more or less, took several days. And then Mateo got a fever. Uh, and I was hoping it wasn't, but I think it is a flu, although less severely than his brother mm -hmm. and address uh, more quickly. So we're kind of cycling through that now, but that's kind of been my life for the last, I guess, 10 days or so. And, um, it's made me think a lot about stress, uh, how we handle things that are happening to us, um, in part by how we manage our own reactions and interpretations and what tools we can use to deal with this um, so that basically we don't make difficult situations worse, mm -hmm. which is kind of what I felt like I was doing. So that's our topic today. Talking about sick kids and stress and how to make the situations better. You know, I obviously cannot relate directly to having two young twins just getting, you know, incredibly sick, running high fevers, but, you know, being the the dog dad that I am, uh, and you haven't yet met Charlie, I don't think, but he has had his own bouts with just you know intense sickness and being up for several nights in a row, feeling overwhelmed, stressed out, sitting in doctors or in this case vets offices at you know one thirty a.m. urgent care in the morning, and uh, yeah, it throws a wrench, throws a wrench in life. So I'm I'm feeling with you my friend. And um, let's unpack this for, for your sake and for everyone listening along. Yeah. Well, I'm going to add one more thing, which is I've also had those dog experiences in the past. And maybe part of my anxiety mm -hmm. is that 
we've had dogs who died in the past from experiences like that. So oh, shit. Uh, maybe <laughs> there, there's a big backstory here. All right. So yeah. let's, let's get into it. And um, how do we get into a situation like this? Well, first let's, let's examine where your stress world um, because sometimes the stress is really clear, like a child's burning up in front of you and you're responsible for that child. But other times, um, we're not even necessarily aware that we're stressed. Um, right. We can see it in others because we can see them acting out in all kinds of crazy ways that suggest they're stressed. But we are sometimes a little bit blind to our own stress. So here are some prompts that you can answer for yourself, listener. I'm concerned about blank. Uh, I'm worried about blank. It's driving me crazy that something. Uh, I can't stop thinking about blank. I'm afraid that blank. I don't like that I am blank. Or I'll add one more, which is that I'm really getting bent out of shape about something that maybe shouldn't be getting me all that bent out of shape on its own. Mm. So we previously <laughs> spent about a half an hour before we started this podcast having a somewhat heated discussion <laughs> about comedian Aziz Ansari and various accusations leveled at him and the response of various other people. It turns out that Michael T. and I are on kind of opposite sides on this. Um, and I don't really want to go into it because I'm just going to get worked up again. But in the middle of this conversation, <laughs> I'm, like, at the mouth. I'm like, wow, I'm really getting worked up on this. I wonder why, because I don't actually know this person or any of the people involved. So maybe something else is going on. All okay. right. So those are some prompts for you all to think about whether you're stressed and what might be the acting uh, issues. So Michael T, how how do you know if you're really stressed or triggered about something? You personally, one of the big things for me is I find it hard to focus my attention, particularly on like tasks that I I, I want to be doing or I, I should be doing. So back to your prompt of I can't stop thinking about, or I might even say like despite my best efforts, I keep obsessing over. Uh, it's like some some little tape that's playing on repeat in the back of my head. So. Uh, for example, even today, as we were getting ready for this podcast, I was trying to put myself in kind of an open-minded, creative place. But as you know, we've been having some audio issues in the background. And I've got, you should see me, I'm sitting amongst all these cords and microphones right now. And I've been trying to troubleshoot this for the last hour. And even as we were preparing today, kept sort of wanting to have my my attention drawn towards this little preamp piece of technology that I don't even fully understand to try to fix it. Um, so that's like kind of a, a telltale sign for me. I'm getting my attention is getting diverted back to some sort of festering topic that I'm really trying to move past, but struggling to do so. Right. And another thing that we'll do in the situation is we'll have certain soothing or distracting obsessive behaviors, eating, uh, yep. drinking, checking stuff online. All these are short-term escapes. And so it's interesting. Like I, I have this uh, app called Self Control on my computer where you list various websites to block yourself oh, from yeah? looking at. Yeah. And so what you do is you you have your whole list and then you go in and you're like, I'm going to set self control for three hours or 12 hours or up to 24 hours. And once it's set, you cannot undo it. Even if you uninstall it, it won't undo it. And so what I'll do is when I'm feeling strong, I will say 12 hours, 14 hours, 24 <laughs> hours. No, you know, no New York Times, no Facebook, no this, no that. Yeah. And sure enough, this morning, I tried to get in like eight times <laughs> to something. Ooh, foiled myself. And I was kind of glad that I had, but I thought it was interesting. Like, why do I suddenly need to 
look at the New York Times right now? Or why do I suddenly need to look at Facebook? And I think it's because there's something else going on that is like uh, making me a little cagey and anxious. Um, yeah. Another another thing I do is that if I find myself negatively obsessing about a situation or a person um, and having kind of dark thoughts, I'll ask myself, okay, is this the only thing I'm having dark thoughts about or are there others? And frequently when I think one thing is the problem, it turns out everything is dissatisfying to me that day. Like hmm. I'll have questions about a colleague and I'll have questions about a client and I'll have questions about my partner and I'll have questions about my kids. And and, and I'm like, oh, uh, the fact that I'm actually crabby about everything, maybe it's a sign of something bigger than just a particular issue that needs to be solved. So mm-hmm. one thing that happens when you're stressed is you can hyper obsess about Hi, little kids. I hear um, your boys in the yes, background. You don't they don't like, sound sick at all. You don't look Come so on. Sick. Are you getting better, my little baby? <laughs> that Theraflu just paying off. No, Theraflu. Theraflu does not cost two hundred fifty dollars a prescription. Theraflu is like that's uh, Tamiflu. Oh, this is what is this one called that you? That Tam, you... Tamiflu. It's what oh, they use you if you get like on Tamiflu. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. two doses. <laughs> 250 bucks each. Jeez Louise. Each, each little serving is $25, and since he spits up half of it, that's a lot of money down the drain. I, could get I just have of- this picture of you just sort of raining the cash down on these two kids right now and saying, I love you both. Get, get well. My kids are like the Germany of our economy. They're the economic engine that's keeping everything, <laughs> oh everything going. So, oh, my God. Yeah, anyway, uh, if I, I have to ask myself, am I crabby about everything or just one thing? So another thing is like racing ahead to some bigger thing as opposed to focusing on the next thing in front of you so like if i am driving my kid into the doctor to get seen Mm -hmm. am i like in my head uh, and this is going to sound so horrible i hate to put out there but you know planning funerals or Mm -hmm. moving selling all my belongings um when actually the next step is okay just go and sit down and check in and see what the doctor thinks yeah just racing ahead and recognizing i'm being crazy but but not being able to step away from that yeah well it's like the i sometimes call these things thinking traps that we fall into when under stress or what we're really talking about is like being distressed right and so the catastrophizing catastrophizing trap, yeah. which is like not only <laughs> what if this domino falls you know into that domino into that domino all of a sudden you're you know you're like writing nico's eulogy in your head and it's like no wonder that's <laughs> no wonder that's stressful holy crap i like that you said catastrophizing because i would also say there can be a kind of turn on to the catastrophizing. Mm. Like it gets you going. It can get your adrenaline going. It's sort of exciting in a disturbing way. Yeah. You know, I would watch people at those Trump rallies and there's so much anger, but they actually seem really into it and really excited about it. And I think that mm-hmm. we should acknowledge that sometimes we we find catastrophizing sort of stimulating and fascinating and and it can lure us in. It's like this kind of dark matter. <laughs> yeah. It's like sucking us into its black hole. Yeah. There's absolutely an addictive quality to our, our yes. distress sometimes. And like being that over scheduled, over busy, overwhelmed person. You know, we most of us have friends like that who oftentimes they're they're sort of that that they're always running late. They're always gotta run off to the next thing. Their uh, life is a tornado. And it's like, why does this continue to revolve around them? And maybe most of us have moments where that starts to emerge and to notice even where we get sort of hooked in. Right. Um, I think the other thing that I've noticed, and this, this ties to the, you know, the, the 
website distractions or overeating or whatever it is you do to soothe is one of the other thinking traps. If I'm not catastrophizing, I sometimes do notice I, I go into an avoidant place and I, that looks kind of like two things. One, um, either I'm like, I'm, it's sort of playing off the catastrophe, like the bigness of doing this task or completing this project is so overwhelming. I'm going to do something else or other times it doesn't even engage at that level. It's just more like I find myself doing something else. Like, why am I eating the seventh leftover Christmas cookie? Or uh, why am I like wrestling my dog on the ground and it's been 15 minutes when I really should be doing that thing that I know is important to me? Um, Or like you were saying earlier, you know, like I'm back on Facebook and how did I get here? You know, I almost, sometimes the avoidance happens in my, my cognitive brain. Other times it happens on the keyboard. Like all of a sudden I just typed out F A C E book.com. And all of a sudden, Ooh, I'm scrolling through a newsfeed. Um, it's, it's amazing how the avoidance sometimes just flows through the tips of my fingers on the keyboard. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm dealing with my stress, uh, that way. And I think the, the reason it's important to look at this kind of avoidance and what we do not to be present Mm -hmm. is that, um, a big part of stress and stress management is being aware of our triggers is knowing what's going to trigger us. So it works in two ways. First, we can predict that we're going to be triggered sometimes. Like if X event happens, then I'm going to go zero to 60 because I just know that about myself. But also sometimes when we're experiencing great stress, we can look backwards and think about what what was triggering me. Like, like is this purely a response to this event or did it kind of hit some electrode in my brain that then led mm-hmm. to this mm-hmm. yeah. uh, more problematic thing happening. And so again, it's it's kind of being able to see, like see us from a third person, like look down from a cloud at how we're behaving. And hmm, interesting that Michael T is wrestling with his dog on the ground. Interesting that Michael is typing in search terms in Google right now. Interesting that... Um, he's uh, catastrophizing. You know what? Where's that coming from? What 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 just happened? What happened ten minutes mm-hmm. ago? How did that thought chain mm-hmm. go? Mm-hmm. So, do you sometimes retrace your thought chains, even retrospectively? All the time, all the uh-huh. time. Because I, I, you know, I sit around analyze my feelings a lot. But I'll have a let's say I have a dark feeling one day. Uh-huh. I'll think, well, what, what was I thinking before and before that? And often I can trace back to something that shifted me and it can go the other way <laughs> i mean it's there have been days when i felt just great i'm like why am i feeling great what's going on here i need to understand this and then i'll kind of go back and piece together what happened what was my response how did it kind of have an impact on yeah. me let's talk about what's really involved here with with stress the heart of the matter the heart of the matter so i'll start with one of my favorite things which is our understanding of personal agency so personal agency refers to our ability to control outcomes in the world. And the U.S. is a very high agency country. Like we kind of grow up, tend to think that you can make your own future, you can be Horatio Alger, you can be a go-getter or what have you, and that your success is in your control, but by the same token, your your failures are in control as well. And it's a very deeply held cultural belief. So if I approach the topic of my kids getting sick with this attitude, it kind of means that I'm responsible for it happening in the first place, and it's all up to me whether they get better. And so I need to constantly focus on, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? But there's other ways of looking at it. So 
other cultures do not have this very strong sense of personal agency, you know, life is viewed as, okay, there are a lot of different factors, and sometimes what happens happens, and maybe the most clear expression of this is this Arabic term, inshallah, which means if God wills mm-hmm. it. So, can you come to my party? Yeah, I'll come by, inshallah, right? Mm-hmm. But it can also refer to, you know, is is this actually in my control? Do I have the ability to determine whether my child gets well or not? Well, mm-hmm. not really. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff going on. There are a lot of actors here. Uh, his own immune system, you know, his genes, uh, medical care, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I guess my first, there's a long-winded way of saying that, is everything really up to you or are things not up to you? And sometimes acknowledging that we don't actually have control over situations is is healthy, um, as opposed to thinking that we have control and we're supposed to have control and that, that we have to, it's all up to mm-hmm. us uh, whether something happens or doesn't happen. Yeah, that's a particularly large mindset, as you said, in our culture. Right, the amount of things. If I were to ask the average American to make a list of the things that's that are in your control or that you believe are in your control, it's it's a pretty long list for for a lot of us. You know, it's this idea that we can control the outcomes across all these different domains of our life, and uh, you know, your juxtaposition with you know the Arabic phrasing and and even just kind of being more in acceptance of all the things that aren't really in our control. Like it does our our infant child do their health outcomes, do their return to wellness. Like, is that firmly in our grasp of control or not? You know, often, often not. It reminds me of, you know, one of our very first episodes, this, this saying that my, my dad likes to talk about, which is, you know, the separation is the cause of all suffering. And that really shows up for me a lot when I'm feeling in distress because usually it's, and it relates to this idea of what I think I can control, right? So I think, typically, I think I can control something. Something should be this way. It should get done now or um, in just such a way, but it's not there yet. So I have this standard, this expectation of what it should be. It's not there yet. So there's a gap. There's a separateness. And I'm suffering because that gap hasn't been closed, right? Versus if I realized I actually don't fully control that or I don't control it nearly as much as I think I do, I don't sense as big of a gap. I'm like, well, if, if God, God wills it or what will be will be, let's see what happens. You know, my suffering goes down if I'm able to actually take on that mindset. It's hard, but if I'm able to do that, my suffering tends to go down. My distress tends to go down. Right. So it's kind of the opposite of what we think. Like we think when we're stressed, okay, I got to think my way through this and do stuff. Right. As opposed to just saying, well, Maybe I can't do anything, and I'll just accept it. Yeah. Could be more liberating. So a second thing that comes up is what I would call how we handle the emotional slash physical balance. So when I'm stressed, I feel it all over my body. I feel it emotionally, but I still tend to live in my head. I live in you know whatever's whirling around in, in my head. And I ignore what really is going on with the body or the idea that that my body could have a role in it. Mm. So as I was taking care of the kid, it meant there were like three to four days that I did like no exercise, no gym, what have you. And I just know for myself that when I don't do that, it is much harder to control stress. And I was also aware that, hmm, I'm probably sleeping about, you know, a total of three to four hours a night in 22 minute segments. Mm. Um, And that, you know, I value sleep and I know what it does to me. And so I'm kind of aware of that. And that is also surely affecting 
how I'm thinking about life and how I'm experiencing stress. And then I have a decision point. So at one point I had a babysitter come for the morning and I was just telling myself, must take nap, must take nap, mm-hmm. must take nap. And I was also thinking, well, I can catch up on work or I should do this or I should play with the other kid or I should, you know, we should divide them up or whatever. But I did manage to just force myself to go and lie down. And then I was just out for like an hour and a half of deep sleep. And I woke up and I mm-hmm. felt much better. Good for you. Right? So, so sleep, exercise, eating. It's also easy not to eat when you're stressed or mm-hmm. to eat really bad stuff. I mean, it seems very basic, but has a huge, huge um, impact on how we're handling stress. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was really impressed. I was at a dinner the other night talking to a few friends about sleep. One of my buddies from school, he's a designer, big fan of the podcast. I'm sure he'll be listening and uh, has had a really, has had a really impressive uh, career so far has accomplished a lot. And I was so, I was, I was impressed. I was surprised to hear him talk about how he's gotten to the point in his approach to sleep and taking care of himself where he just, he'll cut off that, you know, that last project he's trying to get to in the evening and prioritize his sleep almost every time because he's been able to really suss out the evidence for himself, just how much better he is when he takes care of his physical self and how, you know, he gets, I think he said something like nine hours a night, like just gets that sleep. doesn't even matter if it means not getting to something that seems important, that seems urgent, that could be a source of, Ooh, go, go do this now, obsess over this. He's like, Nope, I'm going to be, he said, I'm, I'm 10 X better if I, prioritize my my physical body and my sleep in particular and i believe that and i felt a little guilty sitting there i'm like oh i sometimes just i'll sleep six hours to push through that last thing to try to figure out the damn audio microphone setup for the podcast the next day let me just let me let me deprave myself of sleep so deprive myself and let me let me deprive myself so i can become depraved i don't know english i'm still working on it so another aspect of this is um, <laughs> another aspect is what resources do we make available to ourselves? So I find when I'm stressed that it's also easy to just go into my head and think that it's just me. Um, it's only me as opposed to, well, there's a village and can other people help me? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in my case, um, when I finally managed to just talk to my mother and then another friend of mine from work who was also a mother about this, it was very soothing, right? Because they've gone through this before. Mm. and mm. But it's weird. There was almost like a barrier to me wanting to share it or even just take the kid into urgent care and go get the prescription. And by the way, ask the babysitter if she can come again tomorrow and stay an extra hour or two mm. and make sure I have everything in my house. Like, groceries to eat and things to support us like very tactical provision of resources can make a big difference yeah and then the final thing i would say for now is like when we're stressed what are these underlying tapes or what are the what are the underlying narratives that we have going into this and are we conscious of them so honestly it wasn't until we started talking just on this podcast that i remembered my history of dog ownership mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know and a very searing event many years ago was when we had a three-year-old dog that was completely beloved our first and it seemed to be a little finicky and then one day we took her in and she had kidney failure and 
she died like 24 hours later and it was just like mm. the most devastating thing and i think if we have those kind of stories in our head it's very easy for our emotional history to kind of stay with that as opposed to thinking okay yeah what's different about this situation from 18 years ago right what's different about the facts about me about everything else and kind of force ourselves to yeah acknowledge that whatever ghost is in our head or tape is playing is is not so relevant yeah. today but we have to be we have to be aware of it and that's not always so easy right right well i'm glad to hear it, that that came kind of back to you as a result of our conversation i also appreciated your your second to last point there around resources i realized as you were speaking i'm like oh when i'm stressed i stop asking for help a lot of the time like i i put my tendency is i put on my heaviest backpack of you know, obligation or, or I go trudging off by myself, typically, as opposed to saying, not only what resources do I have, but who or what could help me get this done or move yeah. through this? Yeah. I close down rather than open up. So that was. And that might be a sign, like if we find we're closing down, right? that might be a sign of stress, yes. right? And it takes effort to push out of it, but we can do it. Yeah. So we kind of covered uh, by implication some of the things that you can can do. But let's just review a couple of techniques that that we've found can yeah. work with stress. Talked about our narrative, alternative narrative. Talked about talking to other people and not taking all yourself. Physical activity, breathing, eating. Yeah. <laughs> I, I found like just identifying what my you talked about sort of triggers, what triggers our stress, but then tracing that trigger to the common behavior. For me to actually either in conversation with somebody, a coach, a therapist, or you can do this exercise by yourself is write down like, okay, when I'm, when I get stressed in this type of scenario, almost draw an arrow across the page and say, what do I tend to do? See if you can just sort of yes. start to identify it. Oh, I go to Facebook all the time or yeah. I go for the Doritos and just like, oh, here are my three type, write down to yourself. Here are my three stress routines. What would it be like to try to change one of them up and just see, you know, for a week, how that plays out for you. Like, can I be mindful in the moment? Did I ever tell you about my Evernote file that's called Michael's Fear History? No. <laughs> this sounds like, okay. So don't ruin it all because I want to talk about this on a full podcast at some point, but give us a sneak peek. <laughs> I have this document that I started three years ago called Michael's Fear History, okay. where um, every time I have some weird fear, which is usually about some type of physical health or other thing, uh -huh. I write it down. Because I kind of recognized that I was getting bent out of shape about things, but then the next time it happened, I would still have the same amount of you know stress, and so I, I have this document that now has like thirty <laughs> different entries Whoa. of times when I've gotten really scared or wigged out or fearful or whatever, and I write it down what's happening and what my concern is because I want to be able to go and reread it the next time I'm scared about something huh. and i started this during the pregnancy of the kids because i was really scared yeah. that they would not have a, a healthy pregnancy and i gotta tell you it's been it's been really good it's very soothing hmm. to read over my insane fears and beliefs that did not turn out and then it's it's a good outlet for me yeah. to just write down like oh i'm afraid that my kid will get really sick and die and then i will have to commit suicide right. you know? Jeez, yeah. um yeah, and you just put it on paper and kind of look at it, and it helps to kind of get it out of my head and into a somewhat more neutral place. Yeah, I, I can see how when you look back at that, you say, here are all the predictions I make when I'm distressed. How accurate am I? <laughs> right, and just be able to go through and, and 
soothe yourself by conclusion right michael melcher your prognostication skills when you're stressed are extremely shitty so just know that <laughs> all right well um <laughs> I feel like we've hit the tip yeah. of the iceberg here. Keep that thought in your mind. Keep that thought. But we got to go. A pleasure as always, my friend. We'll, All right. we'll, see, we'll talk soon. Okay, bye. Bye, world. What are we doing here? The monkey. Christmas tree? Yeah. What are we doing with the Christmas tree? Take it. Take it. Where are we going to put it? Murder's barn. In the barn. How about the baby Christmas tree? Daddy's a good monkey. Uh-huh. What about the Christmas tree upstairs? Daddy's a good monkey upstairs. Oh, okay. Should Daddy take the baby Christmas tree too? Yes. Or are you going to take that? Take Daddy's baby Christmas tree. Uh-huh. How about you, Nika? What are you going to do? You're going to help? Dog. You're going to take the dog? Yeah. Take the dog? Yeah. Where? Oh, Mateo's getting the baby Christmas tree. Mateo, you can leave the baby Christmas tree there. Oh, Mateo. It's heavier than it looks. Oh, there's a dog. The Christmas dog. Good dog. What are you going to do with it? Oh, I... All the lights. Yeah. Red lights. There's the red lights. Daddy, in barn. In the barn. We're going to put it in the barn. And the next year, we'll take it all out again. Yay. Mouse. There's a mouse, yeah. There's a mouse. There's a mouse. I think it's a koala. That's nice. On the sled? Yeah. Is a koala going to ride on the sled? Yes.